Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, a three-day losing streak for the major averages and all of this ahead of what is historically the worst month of the year for stocks. What impact will this August pain have on markets when the calendar hits September? Plus, drop at the pump. Wholesale gas prices at their lowest level since mid-February. And for consumers, prices are now almost a buck twenty below the June peak. A deep dive into the energy barrel coming up. And later, digging into the Best Buy bounce, the end of Uber's summer surge and a major Wall Street firm getting bowled over by a bolero. Got the details on that one. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, and we are set to roll a perfect game tonight. Live from the Whoa. Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. I know, we can resist. Mm. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with three big clouds hanging over the markets. Tensions between Beijing and Taiwan escalating again with Taiwan firing warning shots at a Chinese drone earlier today. News of that seemed to send markets in the U.S. sharply lower. Then there's the looming energy crisis in Europe where extreme gas shortages ahead of winter have forced the region to turn to an unlikely lifeline, China. And, of course, the Fed. Expectations for continued rate hikes sending markets down for a third straight day. The move means the S&P has now retraced more than half its gains since the June low. It's now down nearly 8% from its August highs. And take a look at some of the big cap tech stocks that have seen even bigger losses. Apple down nearly 10% from its August peak. Microsoft and Alphabet dropping 11%. Amazon more than 12%. So as we head into September, that's historically the worst month for stocks. Does this all give you cause for even more concern? Tim, what do you say? But we were warned, folks, uh, about potential bowling uh, metaphors and, and analogies and, anyway, puns. And so, anyways, we'll be careful. Um, I, I, as much as I am concerned about China-Taiwan, that's not what the markets were worried about today. Markets were worried about a combination of three Fed presidents reiterating Powell's message from Friday. And, and how about this JOLT status? So, for people that don't know what the JOLT status is, it's basically job openings. And the rest of that acronym you can figure out. It doesn't really matter. The point is that there's so many more job openings than there are people to fill them. And as we have a payroll number on Friday uh, and some CPI numbers across Europe and China over the next couple of days, that is where the market's anxiety is. It's, it's rates that if you looked at a year ago, you know, did you know that the two-year rate was at 21 basis points? It's now at 346. Um, a year later. So twos, tens, that, that spread we like to talk about to at least give you some indication of also where the economy is uh, based upon the shape of the, in, of the yield curve. It, it was 125 or so basis points a year ago. It's negative 36 and counting. So I, I think today was all about reiteration of interest rates moving higher. Equities don't like that. That's you know, been digested all day. Uh, and as much as I think geopolitics have something to do with this and there's other reasons to be concerned, um, this is what we're concerned about. And the Joe really underscores the notion that inflationary pressures will remain, that wage pressures will remain for corporations. That is something that the Fed is going to have to even fight maybe harder to tamp down. Yeah, so if you listen to most economists or strategists, they'll tell you that the stickiest parts of inflation are wage inflation. Again, I kind of think that that will kind of correct itself as soon as we have the unemployment rate start moving higher. And that's the one thing, the one piece of the puzzle that really hasn't jived with a lot of this negative data that we've seen. If you think about the stock market, Mel, you just said that the S&P is down almost 8% in the last 10 trading days. We've had 
10, or excuse me, four moves of greater than 10% from a relative high in 2022, averaging about 13% lower. Okay, so here we are down about 7.5% or so from those recent highs. If you think about all of those things that you say are weighing over the economy, well, they're clearly obviously weighing over the stock market here too. And I would just say it's not done yet, even though that we've retraced 50% of the move off of the June low. I mean, I think if you think of the stock market as a market of stocks, well, the news for individual companies is about to get a lot worse. It's been incrementally bad all year. The stock market has been discounting that that data as it's been careening lower. We had that rally when people thought the Fed was going to change their tune. That's not happening. There's really no reason why the S&P 500, if the economic data continues to get worse, which is going to cause the company level data, the earnings level to get worse, why the S&P shouldn't go back to those June lows. We just heard tonight there's a report that SNAP is about to lay off 20 percent of its workforce, so even more pain to come. And we continue to hear these drips and drabs about layoffs and, and, you know, job losses that haven't hit the numbers yet, or we haven't seemed to, to see them in the numbers yet, Courtney. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this previously, but where a lot of those job losses are happening are some of your big tech companies, and those are some of the things that are selling off the most right now. And yes, those started to recover a lot when things were recovering the last two months, but we were saying that probably isn't going to last. You're seeing now those are starting to get repriced. I would continue to proceed with some caution there on some of your larger technology names. I do think those are going to be the ones that are feeling the pain as we're starting to see inflation is maybe not coming down as fast as people want. Those are the things that are going to be likely the most susceptible. Guy? Tim pointed out uh, how far we've come in terms of the two-year yield. In just, why are you laughing? Point two one percent. I missed you, Mel. I mean, no, but I mean, I missed you. I missed you. I missed missed you you. all. I mean, you've been gone from the bottom of my heart. I'm so glad to be back. Um, But, but a lot has changed. I mean, especially in terms of 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 the context for a potential. You know, if if you are a bull and you're hoping that there's going to be a big move higher in tech or that that is going to be the backbone of the market, the rate backdrop in and of itself is completely different this time around. So if you're hoping for some sort of a revival in some of the lower quality names, I, I, I don't know, that's going to be hard. No, that's exactly right. And since you started with bowling, I'll just throw one more there bowling metaphor out because ah. why not, Melms? For the last, you know, it's, it coincides oddly enough. You know, when I was a kid, there were no bowling guards in the gutters. In other words, if you were lousy, you were throwing it in the gutter because there was nothing to stop the ball. Then some genius came up with the idea, well, maybe we should democratize bowling and put these gutter guards up so everybody thinks they're remarkably Earl Anthony. Well, that's what the Fed did, too, for 15 years. But you know what? The gutter guards are down, Mel. And now everybody's (laughs) seeing what a miserable bowler they are. And I'm actually being half serious. I mean, now exactly your backstop's not there. So I think you make a great point. Two-year yields are going to continue to go higher. I think there's a chance that the 10-year yield actually starts to go lower from here in a flight to quality. But I w- will say this so it's not all doom and gloom on this Thursday. Uh, the HYG didn't get cratered today, and the VIX surprisingly closed unchanged. And, oh, by the way, today's low was basically a 50% retracement of the recent low in June, and that high we made a few weeks ago so- north of 4300 Back to you. So it's a 50% retracement of the 50% retracement from the lows. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's correct. 
Just wanted to underscore that uh, well, and the it, perfect symmetry there. <laughs> and there's certain parts of the market that, that have, at least in the first couple moves lower, have been more defensive than others. We spent a lot of time talking about Apple. We talked about the fundamentals around Apple. We talked about, I've said I want to hear a demand warning that we haven't gotten. Uh, but if you look at Apple over the last couple of days, it's actually, you know, the, the move over, you know, the last three or four days to me in Apple has been more aggressive than at times you've seen. I think Mega Cap Tech, Google broke its 50 last week, Microsoft last week. And if you look at where that, that you know, that safe haven dynamic of the market has been, um, that to me will be interesting because I, I think market participants have had a chance to really test some of those key levels. And I get the sense, again, I, I, I say this a lot. I think the professional community, I think the hedge fund community um, is cashed up, is, is yeah. uh, uh, got significant uh, exposure on in terms of the short side and where they are positioned on futures. Um, I think they're going to want to push some levels. And I think that is something to watch. I mean, is that the dynamic? I mean, at the top of the show, we cited the moves in big cap technology specifically. And Tim and mentioned, you know, the perceived defensive names selling off from from their recent highs. And so is the take on that that we're just selling winners at this point to cash up to get defensive or that that whatever's coming is going to hit everybody just as hard. Well, you could say that. I know we're going to talk about energy, but if you talk about the energy stocks today, the stock market acted horrible with the best acting sector acting the worst. And that is not a great sign. At some point, utilities started to act very poorly today down in line with the S&P 500. So what we've seen in past periods where we've had these big downdrafts and listen, you know, we've mentioned this all year long. It's been a very orderly sell off until it's not. The last week or so has not been particularly orderly. If you think about since mid-August, August, we've been down, like you said, 8% in the S&P 500. In early June, June 6th to June 16th, the S&P went down 12% in what felt like a straight line. So in some ways, you got to kind of be careful when the market starts to get really kind of quiet here. That's when all of these things start to come together. And if you talk about rates, the two-year is breaking out now at 346. Tim just mentioned um, the 10-year at 31. Again, Guy makes a great case why if the 10-year goes lower, it's actually not good for stocks. It's more reflective of the growth environment which will weigh on corporate earnings. So again, I think we're going into a period right now, the last month of Q3 here, where Q3 is actually up, believe it or not, even after the performance that we've had um, in August so far, I think we're going to start hearing some negative pre-announcements. I think you're going to hear companies like we just heard in Snap starting taking big chops to employment so they can make a better story when they report Q3 and guide for Q4, talking about how they're already trying to rationalize expenses. Yeah, and I think we're not only hitting the end of the quarter here, but also we're several weeks away now from the Fed announcing what they're going to do with their rest next rate hike. And I think that's arguably what the markets are the most worried about right now. And I think we're likely going to see some chopping trading between now and then. I think that really is the reason. You're saying, well, why is big tech and energy down at the same time? Well, interest rates increasing are going to affect your big tech firms, but also now it's worrying the people that it's going to reduce demand going towards energy. So it's the same cause that is driving both down. But I do think when you talk about energy, I likely think that's probably something temporary. If we're not seeing people aren't stopping to travel, we're going into the winter season. I would actually look to buy into energy as an opportunity. But I think on the technology front, I think that's a longer-term story. I think that's going to continue to have some increased pressure. All right, let's stick with energy prices here. Our Bob Gas today closing at its lowest level since mid-February before Russians, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. For more on where prices are heading from here, let's bring in Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan. He's a head of petroleum analysis. Patrick, great to have you back. Thanks for having me, Melissa. How bad will things get in Europe? Well, I, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg here. Long winter awaits us. LNG supplies are still constrained, obviously, because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Oil prices today plummeting on economic concerns. There's just a lot of different factors that are going in to push the market up one day and down the next. But 
certainly a lot of challenges coming for LNG over the course. Gas prices likely remain extremely elevated, especially as the temperatures start to get colder. So how does that, I mean, here in the United States and, and you know, our, our audiences, we have a global audience, but mostly in the United States, Patrick, how does that impact um, the audience at home? Well, you talk about natural gas prices that continue to flirt with $10 per million BTU. It's going to be an extremely expensive winter weather in the U.S. in terms of heating your home. I think more Americans may end up going back to an office just to try to save on uh, heating expenses. And you'll see that, too, in Europe. So, uh, again, a very constrained winter of, of, of broader energy. And keep in mind that this certainly could pull, pull the price of oil, the price of diesel even higher. We're talking about shortages of power over in Europe, potentially still in China, shortages of coal. So uh, certainly very bullish for the entire energy complex. And, and Patrick, it's Tim. It's also very bullish for particularly the U.S. shale uh, you know, producers and, and that, that part of the chain, especially as we see as much U.S. not gas that also can get off of our shores and head over to Europe is going there. Can you talk a little bit about a, a changing of the guard or is this a reinvigoration of a trade that over here uh, five to ten years ago was really the place to put a lot of money until a lot of these companies grew too fast. And in fact, it was it, it was an awful place to be because the balance sheets blew up. Yeah, look at it at this time. There's a lot more discipline and a lot more challenges with ramping up as quickly. Of course, a lot of this was brought on by COVID-19 and exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And to your point, there's just no way that we can bring enough new supply online as quickly as we need it, um, especially with OPEC and especially with Saudi Arabia. That's uh, kind of taking a stance against the Biden administration. So when it comes to natural gas, uh, you know, this is going to be a multi-year elevated uh, pace of prices. And that certainly could carry with it a higher price of oil. Now, when it comes to the gas pump, diesel prices now starting to go back up. Consumers really the only ones starting to see a little bit lower prices at the gasoline pump. But that's certainly going to be offset by high natural gas prices through much of the winter. So, so Patrick, in terms of... Hey, Patrick. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, Mel. No, you go ahead. All right. We're, no, we're I apologize, Mel. You go ahead. <laughs> This is the joys of uh, working remotely. <laughs> Maybe Guy will come back to the office more often oh, if, uh, wow. if I ask him nicely and if, and if his um, gas bill is too high. Uh, so I was going to ask Patrick, in terms of the, the December 5th uh, deadline, in terms of the, the European ban, how do you sort of factor that in? Is that sort of a foregone conclusion in your forecast or, how, you know, in, in your analysis, it, it, where does that stand? Well, Melissa, it's going to be very, uh, I'll color it this way, I'd be very surprised to see if the EU remains uh, one in terms of unity over the course of the winter. It's going to be something different during the course of those coldest months uh, to see all the countries still going along with this. I think it would be very surprising to see the EU not fracture over the course of the winter when temperatures really start to get cold. So, uh, and keep in mind, this is also going to pull natural gas prices higher in the U.S., uh, of course, when Freeport reopens their export terminal, I think certainly the sky is the limit when it comes to natural gas, and it probably will remain that way well through winter. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for your analysis. Appreciate it. Thanks, Melissa. Patrick DeHaan of Gas Buddy. Um, Guy, you know, if, if we are talking about this sort of energy crisis in the United States, I mean, there would be people in the streets picketing, um, and it's going on in Europe right now. It's real what's going on in Europe. I mean, it's tragic, actually, and they're going to, people have to make decisions, I'm sure, at some point, whether they're going to heat their homes or feed their families. That's not being hyperbolic. That's what's going to happen. With that said, obviously, we're not going to face the same dilemma, thankfully. But what I will tell you is, and maybe I'm being dogmatic, but the supply-demand fundamentals 
still line up for crude oil and energy to go higher. We've heard it from Halima Croft, Paul Sankey, and a lot of other people. So despite today's move, and again, maybe I'm being a bit too dogmatic in my views, I still think crude goes higher from here. Yeah, and I guess it really comes down to Tim and, and Guy have talked about the stocks and how the companies are operating so much better, right, in this environment that they have been in. But when you think about their contribution to S&P earnings and what that has meant this year, you know, we've been waiting for, like, let's say, earnings downgrades to the S&P 500. That hasn't happened yet. So, you know, keeping them buoyed here, I just, again, I got to mention, today's price action in crude, you know what I mean, and the subsequent move in the stocks, I think could be really telling for what we're in for, especially if crude were to have a another leg lower before some of this stuff is really apparent about the shortages in Europe in the next couple months. Coming up, chaos in the car market. What to inflation, chip shortages, and record loan levels mean for investors will drive into the auto trade ahead. But first, earnings alert. We've got the after-hours action on PBH, HP, and HP Enterprise. Details on the quarters next. Stick around. Much more Fast Money in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on PBH. Shares of the Van Heusen and Calvin Klein owner dropping after announcing a leadership change during its quarterly report. Courtney Reagan's got all the details. Court. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, so PVH reporting $2.08 adjusted earnings. That does better expectations by about $0.06. Cents. Revenues, though, did come up a bit light at $2.13 billion, down about 8% year over year on total. Margins fell slightly, called about a half a percent, but most of that was from a negative currency drag. It's really the guidance, I believe, that's hurting the stock here after hours. For the current quarter, revenues are forecast to fall between 4 and 5%. The street was actually expecting 2.5% growth. Its earnings for 
forecast, that's week two, whether you exclude Russia or include Russia. And in the second quarter, Tommy Hilfiger's global revenue fell 5%. Calvin Klein global revenue fell 1%. CEO Stefan Larson said that Europe and Asia were stronger than the U.S., which is still plagued by supply chain issues. Overall, inventory up about 19%. And when it comes to how it sold its good in the quarter, direct-to-consumer down 5%, wholesale down 11%, and digital down 7%. The international apparel player also cutting 10% of its global workforce, workforce as it works to streamline the organization. And as you mentioned, Melissa Trish Donnelly at CEO of PVH Americas and Calvin Klein Global is also leaving the retailer. Back over to you. Inventories are up 19% year on year, Courtney. Is there any indication yes, that they're working that down? Or I mean, how does that how does that happen? Because oftentimes you find these brands in a department store and in another seller. And so for them to have the inventory implies that there's some sort of backup on that chain. Yeah, exactly. So they kind of listed three different reasons. They said, look, part of their part of the reason why they're up 19 percent, because they were so low last year when everything was stuck basically in the supply chain. So the comparison makes it look worse than it is, is what they're saying. They also are saying, look, we didn't sell as much as we had hoped to in the Americas. So we are a little bloated there. But then lastly, we did bring in some of that inventory early for the holiday season because we don't want to get caught flat footed where people are looking for our goods and we don't have them to sell, which is what they say happened in part last year. All right. Courtney, thanks. Courtney Reagan. Seems like we might have a lot of these weird sort of inventory blips as we go into the holidays. Tim, how do you um, interpret the quarter? Well, you know, flat-footed or just flat. I mean, they, yeah. the, the story here with PVH is really one where on a three-year CAGR, so going back to pre-COVID, this is a company that in their last quarter, they're down about 3%. They're guiding down about 3%. There's not a lot going on. America in line, demand trends kind of eh, you know, and inventory levels higher. And, and let's be clear, a, a demographic and a certainly a target consumer group that's not high-end or as high-end as at least some of these brands might have been at one time and, and certainly would be under more pressure. So some of the same retrends, retail trends, you had a 30% rally off that bottom. Uh, you're back resting on that 50 in this after-hours move. The, the, the stock even technically looks like it has now more room to go back down. Yeah, it seems like neither the high-end or the low-end is what they have in their portfolio here, Courtney. So it's the middle, and that's, that's a part of the population that's really getting squeezed. It is. Yeah, we saw that like when Walmart earnings came out and you're seeing people making over $100,000 a year and now having to shop at Walmart. And those are the same kind of target consumer right now. And what's happening is they are getting squeezed by inflation, having to choose what they're spending their money on. And that's what makes retail so tough right now is that's probably one of the easiest things people can cut right now. And what's interesting with them is I think one of their benefits compared to their peers was the fact that they were doing a better job with their inventory levels than some of their competitors. But seeing that 19% increase, I think that's going to be kind of interesting to watch because that might actually take that away from them. Let's move on to a pair of tech names reporting after the Bell shares of Hewlett Packard and HP Enterprises on the move after both fell short of revenue estimates. Let's get to Steve Kovac with the details. Steve. Hey, Bell. Yes. Let's start off with HP. Uh, it was a revenue miss, $14.66 billion versus the $15.74 billion expected. EPS in line exactly with expectations at $1.04. And it's the lowering guidance for the fourth quarter that's sending shares down about 4% uh, here in the after hours. Oh, on to HP Enterprise, revenue a slight miss, $6.95 billion versus the $6.97 billion expected. And just like HP, EPS right in line at $0.48. Cents. Now, we got two different tales of demand here, Mel. HPO, HP CEO Enrique Loris telling me PC and print demand 
falling, which is why guidance was light for the rest of the year, saying the slowdown accelerated throughout the quarter. And that's been echoing what we've heard from so many PC makers and companies like Microsoft this earnings season. Now, it's a different story over at HP Enterprise. CEO Antonio Neri telling me demand is strong and steady despite foreign exchange headwinds. By the way, we'll have uh, Jim Cramer is going to have Loris on Mad Money next hour to go over the HP results in detail, Mel. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac, uh, Guy Dami, pick your poison. I'll take the E-Kind for 500. And actually, it was surprisingly good. I'm surprised the stock isn't higher right now than it is in the aftermarket. Look, 1240, I think, was a recent low. It's trading 13 and change now. You can actually wrap your head around valuation. And listen, they're saying similar stuff to what Microsoft said in their quarter, that we're not seeing really a fall off in demand, which is a good thing they're not seeing it yet. That might come, but it's not here yet. So I think it can be long E-kind, H-P-E, for a trade here, Melms. Yeah, the H-P-kind may not have come as much of a surprise, Dan, given what we've heard from other tech companies about pull forward um, of PCs, et cetera. Yeah, so um, sequentially down 4% in revenues. And then if you talk about their guidance and what they have to say, it's just not great. And you piece that together with what we heard from Salesforce, what we heard from Dell, I mean, you know, going back in Microsoft. And, you know, I, I suspect that as we get into, again, this last month of the quarter, towards the end of it, we may see some kind of soft downgrades to guidance. Maybe it's at conference season. I think there's a lot of tech conferences that go on through September. So I would expect that. I don't think any of these companies like to come out and just kind of drop the hammer and, and kind of throw the kitchen sink in. So I expect, you know, maybe death by a thousand cuts as we get into Q3 earnings season sometime in October. But at least not death by a sledgehammer in the form of hearing about enterprise. Like they, they're not telling you that that core customer base, especially for HPQ, um, I think is, is very important. The question is, I, you get back to this as a company, what, what do you want to pay for uh, a computer hardware company in the middle of this environment? And if you look at this on a trailing, it's, it's five times earnings. I mean, it's crazy. Mm. And, and, and I'm just not sure that that multiple needs to get any higher, even if the environment's not as bad as, as warned. All right. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Enormous amounts of cash. That's what one former automaker CEO says the electric vehicle makers need right now. We'll drive into the auto trade next. And later, grab your best bowling shirt. J.P. Morgan sees one big bowling company rolling more than 50% higher here. Is this name right up your alley? Stick around. We'll knock down all the pins on this trade. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of electric vehicle makers Nikola and Lucid falling sharply today. Announcing Nikola announcing plans today to issue up to $400 million of new shares. It comes a day after Lucid disclosed an intention to issue $8 billion in new stock over the next three years. Our next guest suggests the charge to raise cash among EV makers will intensify with Tesla joining the pack. Mark Fields is a former CEO of Ford and Hertz. He is now a CNBC contributor. Welcome back to Fast, Mark. Great to have you. Hi, Melissa. Seems like it would be a, a very difficult environment for a company that is 
um, in need of cash in a rising rate environment? Yeah, well, you know, there's an old saying, how do you make a small fortune in the car industry is you start with a large one. And when you look at uh, these EV makers, you know, it's a very capital intensive business. They're trying to learn, obviously, how to get up the production curve. And the bottom line is when you look at the cash levels, the current cash levels of whether it's Lucid or Fisker or Nikola or Lordstown, you know, they're, they're all saying, hey, we're good through the end of 23. Well, the question is what happens after that, right? Because the question is, can they get to profitable cash flow by the end of 23 in a market where you've got rising interest rates and consumers that are being somewhat stressed? So they're going to have to be forced to raise money. And you, you just mentioned a couple of the automakers that have done that. And they're going to have to continue to do that as they uh, work through this environment. Do we see a shakeout of, of sorts, Mark, in this space um, with some of these smaller or newer players um, either, I don't know, going private, getting bought, et cetera? Well, I think in some of them, it's still too early to tell. They haven't even launched their products yet. You know, whether it's uh, Fisker, for example, they haven't even launched their products yet. I think, uh, obviously, a maker like Rivian has, I think they have over $15 billion of cash. They have, you know, huge investors like Amazon with 100,000 uh, vans on order. I think they're, they're, they're fine. But some of them, I think, as they start producing and as they start seeing demand for their product or lack thereof, back thereof, uh, you could actually see, you know, some shakeout here, as you said, either some going private or some getting absorbed. Any predictions on that? Well, you know, I, I would say it's a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of a poker game right now. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, when you look at the amount of money in private equity that, that's available, I think there's going to be plenty of opportunity for for folks that will have discussions with some of these automakers. Because if you think about it, the reason some of these smaller EV makers uh, went public was because they needed the they needed the cash, they needed the equity, right? And maybe their banks weren't willing to to go above certain levels. So as you you know you cast out beyond 23, those needs are still going to be there. The question is, will folks want to buy their stock, or are there opportunities for for to take those pub, those companies private through things like private equity? You've walked there in the past, Mark, about how you, you expect auto demand to remain strong, um, even if there is a downturn. And I'm wondering how a rising financing costs for the consumer play into that. I mean, we were just remarking earlier, you know, just a year ago, the two-year yield was at less than a quarter of a percent and is now, you know, three and a half percent effectively. How does that work into the equation? Well, it's a very unique time. You know, in normal times, as you said, if you look at the average loan rate right now, it's over 600, almost $670. You know, that's like a mini rent payment. Uh, and when you think about the rising interest rates, that really pushes the marginal new car buyer out of the market and into the used car market. So clearly it puts pressure on that. I think the difference than any other downturn in the past is you have the automakers who have uh, have basically had a 20% drop in volumes and, and production and sales over the last two years because of the supply chain issues. And that's about the same as any recession in the past, peak to trough. So you could argue they've already had that, but I think the biggest thing is their dealer networks, their stock levels are about you know 40% of what they normally would be. So I think as we go into a slower uh, economy, the automakers are still going to do relatively well because they're going to have to produce and restock their dealers. And of course, that's when they book the revenue and the profits. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, so the marginal buyer will be forced up, but the demand will still remain high. Um, it seems like it might be a little bit easier. Or maybe, maybe you're not um, waiting as long for a new car. Are you still waiting as long for a rental car? I mean, it, it's, it's hard to get a rental car these days. Yeah, I mean, listen, the production issues are still, you know, kind of reverberating through the industry. You see that even in the past week, some automakers announced some downtimes. And listen, it's not only semiconductors, it's a, it's a, it's a number of other parts. But I think the other issue facing consumers is because the automakers are uh, trying to be judicious with uh, the number of chips they have, some of their vehicles don't have some of the features that maybe some of these you know, buyers of their current products have that won't be in the new ones. For example, they may not have a heated steering wheel or heated seats because they're trying to conserve those chips. Uh, but overall, I, you know, I do think the demand is still there. I think the real issue is the demand going forward for EVs, particularly as you see the cost of input costs going up and a number of the price increases that the uh, automakers have just announced over the last couple of weeks. All right, Mark, thanks. Mark Fields. Thanks, Melissa. As long as the seat has a massage function. I'm <laughs> no, you have to have I, I never standard. thought about those features. It's really interesting about the trade down. You know, that, that consumers, the quote-unquote trade-down, <laughs> that consumers will have to make in their vehicles. Well, and, and back to the point Mark made about, you know, how do you make the small fortune by having a large fortune? I mean, Rivian may be the best capitalized and has yeah. the best partners. I mean, in the case of Amazon, you've also got a partner who's a strategic. I mean, they are truly incented to see uh, deliveries happen, and they are a key part of, of Amazon's future on delivery. But um, they're going to burn $5.5 billion uh, in EBITDA this year. And by the way, that number's gotten worse from expectations. They were about $4.7 billion. Two quarters ago. So um, that story is an interesting one, but again, not one that gets better soon. Guy? I'm still trying to figure out the massage function in cars. I mean, clearly, my 2002 Tahoe there, does not have cars, that function. There are apparently, that have massage seats. 2002 what? I don't have a car. I mean, I don't know anything about cars, but go ahead. <laughs> I will tell you, every once in a while, there's a tell out there in the equity market, and maybe I'm just wishful thinking, but the fact that NEO actually closed slightly higher today is encouraging. And listen, you take the China numbers with a grain of salt, but July, year over year, we're up 27% in terms of deliveries. That's a good thing. So I'm hoping that the end and the dawn trade showed me something on this Tuesday, not Thursday, Mel. Yeah. Which automaker do you like, if any, Court? You know, I've talked about this previously, but I would actually go with some of your like old schools, like your Fords, your GMs. I think they're a much better way of playing this. And I do think that they are in a better position here where, yes, you're seeing like Ford is starting to cut their employees because they're focusing on your electric vehicles. But they are going to be able to much better down, uh, weather some of these downturns and offer a much wider array to much wider selection of people out there. And I think that's really going to be the way of playing this. It's so much cheaper than especially all these small EV makers. Coming up, we've got a trader's choice for you. Four stocks our traders are watching the names and how to play them straight ahead. But first, bad day for Bed Bath & Beyond. What is dragging this name into the clearance bin? We'll hit up the options pits for a look at what's next. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Bed Bath & Beyond losing hold of early gains to finish the day down more than 9%. The company is expected to announce a plan tomorrow to turn around its business and win back investor confidence amid a major cash crunch. The stock's price action wasn't especially optimistic today, but there were some very bullish bets made by options traders. Mike Coe has the uh, action here. Mike. 
Yeah, a relatively small company compared to other really active stocks, but this one was actually the fourth most active single stock option with a, with a market cap of less than a billion dollars. The other 10 most busy single stock options actually are closer to a trillion dollars. The busiest options were the weekly 15 strike calls. We saw almost 39,000 of those trade for $1.63. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock can regain some of the mojo it had earlier this week on the back of tomorrow's news. But I will also say that busy too were the 10 strike puts. Right now the options market is implying a move of 30% higher or lower by the end of this week. So, um... <laughs> Action to the upside guy, but action to the downside too at 10. I mean, <laughs> where would you place your bet? Oh, God. is that me, Melms? Yeah, sorry I'm sorry. About that. I apologize. <laughs> I, I would say lower, Bob, again. I, I think the bloom is off the rose here. This has been a failing business uh, for quite some time. Tim will point out this is where I buy my potpourri. And that's true, but guess what? can only buy so much potpourri before you do something else. And I think that's what's happening at Bed Bath & Beyond. Lower. Depends on who you are and what your love of potpourri is, yes. Tim. Yeah, look, uh, a scented candle here uh, or so um, gets me through the week, but uh, not enough. The debt restructuring here, to me, is the big story. We don't know what the equity's worth until we get through that. Yep. Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up. One bright spot in today's sea of red shares of Best Buy bucking the trend in the overall market. But is the stock your best bet right now? We'll dig into that next. Plus, a few standout moves from today's session. We'll tell you the names that caught our traders' eyes. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Best Buy managing to hold on to gains despite today's sell-off. The company reporting a beat on the top and the bottom line this morning. Comp store sales also fell less than expected. Tim, we sort of, I mean, they, they came out at the end of July and said things were going to be not, terrible. Yeah, not so good. Yeah, uh, and, and they, and, and they lowered expectations. They, 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 they set the bar very low, and then they kind of removed the bar. I mean, they basically said that guidance that we gave you earlier about 25, which was pretty interesting and pretty aggressive, no longer. And, and on some level, Companies are getting rewarded. They, 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 their execution in the second quarter was excellent. Their inventory levels are awful. Um, but what's concerning to me is that they talked about the promotional activity and where this is going, and that actually um, you're, you're ahead of 2019 levels earlier than anticipated on promotional activity. I, you know, hang in there, folks. You're going to get a very cheap TV for Christmas, Dan. So, I mean, in case you were looking for another big screen. So no, thank I, you, Tim. I, I, yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> I just like when the Geek Squad guys come over and hang out with me and watch a little football in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like just... No. It's weird. Um, do you like Best Buy? <laughs> yeah, I do. Th I, I think there's going to be some concerns coming up because even though their inventory levels maybe weren't, maybe actually a little bit better than expected, the problem is you also have all of your competitors who are also starting to put promotions on their products and to compete, they're going to have to put promotions on theirs regardless of what their inventories look like. And now we're coming up with the holiday season, which is actually one of the busiest for Best Buy. This is coming at the same time that the Fed is increasing interest rates and people are really going to start to feel some of that. So I think that can really lead to some of their demand in this next quarter. So I would proceed with a little bit of caution here. Yeah, Guy? I think Best Buy goes lower from here. This is, to me, a relief rally. I mean, the trajectory has been upper left, lower right. And there are people like you that go to Best Buy with a legal pad in hand, take notes. <laughs> And then you go and buy the things on the line. I mean, that's been a tried and true strategy for quite some time. I am not one of those people, by the way. But the pull forward is there. I think the stock goes lower from here. 
Guy's the guy sitting on the leather couch in the home theater section I know. watching a, you know, the movie he didn't catch What's the in difference? eighth grade. So. What's the difference? <laughs> anyway, coming up, our trader's choice. These names catching. Three names. These names. Catching our trader's attention today's session. They will break down what the moves could mean when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are back with a trader's choice, digging into more of today's movers. Up first, Snap, the stock dropping late in the day and adding to losses in the after hours on reports that it plans to lay off 20 percent of its workforce or about 1,100 employees. The company has been planning to make cuts for the last several weeks after disappointing Q2 earnings. The layoffs are expected to start tomorrow. Dan has been watching this one. Yeah, and I've been long and I've been trading a little bit. And listen, it's been um, a good trading stock. I have a longer term view. So this cut is likely to proceed a very disappointing Q3 and right. probably a very bad Q4. And I think you know that. So stock's down 80%. That doesn't mean that a stock that's down 80% can't get cut in half again. But I'm going to be averaging in, into it. And then I kind of sell it when it pops, that sort of thing. So to me, I do think it's kind of an interesting setup. But I think you have to be prepared to buy it lower and possibly much lower. So you trade around this, but your long-term view is positive on stuff. Yeah, May, June, I bought it at 1280. It went up to 16 and a half, and then it got all the way back down to nine and a half. I mean, think about the volatility in a name like that. There is 20% downside easily in this thing here, but there's also the potential for it to kind of move up 50% or even double. If TikTok gets banned in the U.S., this thing doubles. Next up, Netflix shares down uh, close to 2% today. The company denying a report that its new ad-supported tier will cost between 7 and $9 a month, telling the New York Post that it hasn't made any price decisions yet. Courtney, what's your take on this one? Okay, I think we, we previously saw some optimism when that news came out, and we're saying, okay, well, if they're going to be able to do this, maybe they, they won't be stalled at this $220 million subscribers, because right now they're competing with Disney Plus as probably one of their biggest competitors, and they're actually adding subscribers, whereas Netflix isn't. So they're going to need to do something with this ad-supported tier or something to bring in more customers right now. I think until we see that, though, there's probably a little bit more downside here. So I think we're, it's going to be really interesting to watch that. Tim, you're along this one? Yeah, I, I, you know, to me, it's a story that I think you – Look, the, the, the environment here is very difficult, but I think if you expect streaming to be what it's going to be, the tailwind's there. We just got those data points on where uh, streaming is now ahead of linear TV in terms of engagement and whatnot. I am long it. Um, I, I think the reset also on expectations at this point. Uh, we said this even after that second bad quarter in a row. It was going to take some time. Yeah. Uh, I think it takes a little more time. Uber ending the day almost flat despite a big run-up of over 20% in August. The ride-hailing stock is on pace for its best month since 2020. Uber also outperforming Lyft in the last three months by nearly 40%. Tim, um, this move caught your eye. It did because, again, you know, often they are compared to each other. We know that, that Uber is, tends to be the super app versus Lyft, which is focused just on, on rideshare. But um, outperformed Lyft by almost 40%, 39.5% in three months. And some of this is a function of Uber uh, and their discussion of adjusted EBITDA and profitability that much faster. Again, that kind of a pairs trade to me totally favors Lyft. Uh, a couple reports out there over the last couple of days saying that actually channel checks so far say they're ahead of their second quarter guide. Their driver supply is better. Their ASC, yeah. ASPs are better than expected. And, and, and look, no matter what happens in the fall um, with inflation and the Fed and whatnot, people are going back to work. Ride share, and I think the low point for these folks, especially especially if driver supply becomes better. This is a pair trade, though. Lyft has radically underperformed Uber uh, in the last three months. Get long against Uber. All right. Finally, the TLT Treasury bond ETF eking out a small gain today, but still trending lower, almost down 4% this month as longer-term Treasury yields tick higher. Guy. Around Halloween, 
Boo. Boo. of 2018. The TLT traded down to 108 and bounced significantly. Well, I encourage our viewers and listeners to look at a chart and see where we recently got down to. Decent double bottom here. The counter trend, the non-consensus trade is 10-year, 20-year yields will go lower. And I think that could potentially happen with the softening data. Though I think you can buy TLT betting for lower yields for a trade here, Melms. Uh, lower yields, meaning also lower banks, Dan? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, I think this goes back to what we started the show with, and Guy kind of laid it out pretty clearly. Lower 10-year yields is really bad for growth. Bad for growth is bad for big money center banks because if the consumer is going to you know, borrow less to buy, the, it's just not a great setup for the banks. J.P. Morgan's telling you that. Trading at 114, again, I've been saying this, watch that 110 level. If it makes new lows soon, the market's following it. All right, coming up. A call the big Lebowski would really appreciate. The one stock that could be a strike for your portfolio. The name and your final trades are next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Bolero. Rolling higher today, J.P. Morgan saying the bowling company could surge more than 50 percent as demand for events increases in a post-pandemic world. The analysts calling this the magic of bowling. So is this stock a strike or heading for the gutter? Guy, is this name up your alley? (laughs) You didn't just do all that, did you? I mean, that is it's well done by you. I think the last absolutely. And listen. And we actually, before the show, we had a conference call and we discussed a fast money fall bowling event. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we're not the only one. So I'm with J.P. Morgan. By the way, (laughs) Earl Anthony, as mentioned earlier, is different than Slide It Earl from Match Game fame. Back to you. Uh, Thanks for that clarification. I'm sure America was wondering about that one. Um, We were actually discussing bowling and Dan was saying, why would you put your fingers in a bowling ball? I haven't put my fingers in a bowling ball since the 90s. Especially probably. after COVID. But, yeah. I mean, in a post-COVID world. So are you the kind of guy that rolls it between you your legs real slow? Yeah, <laughs> granny style. Sure. Tim, you went bowling just this week. I did. Something that you probably would never I think did. of I, doing, I, yeah. putting, of holding a bowling ball. But I loved know. it. I loved it. Yeah. I, I pulled a couple muscles. I mean, that, that deep lunge was not something that go well. The food didn't bowling. go so well. But, I mean, J.P. Morgan calls this an economically attractive industry and that these guys have the kind of scale that can actually dominate it. I mean, look, I, maybe I'm missing something, well, but... Uh, you know, po- polyester we, shirts. We coaches. did a fast money Christmas party bowling years we ago. Did. Do you remember we that? At Lucky BK Strike. fell over in the yes. lane. Yeah. I remember. Ka- and he Karen dominated. Yeah. Karen with yeah. no surprise. She dominates yeah. most things she does. Yeah. Yes. Um, be, by the way, be sure to tune in tomorrow. The Bolero CEO, Tim Shannon, will join us. We've got so many questions. Tim, that's tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guys. Uh, Palo Alto Networks on what was a good crowd strike report, Mel. Mm. <laughs> Tim. IYH Healthcare had been a gutter ball in that market move over the last six weeks and is now underperformed and is time to outperform in this environment for sure. Courtney. Oxy, I would really continue to look at this energy pullback as an opportunity and I think this is a really good way of playing that. Yeah, so this is a really interesting time, I think, in the market, especially for names that are beaten up like a snap. You want to see them being aggressive with cuts, that sort of thing. I'm working into it. I think there's two down, maybe four or five up in the near term. Tim, did you rent shoes when you went bowling this weekend? Uh, no bueno. I'm not touching the shoes, Mel. I'm but sorry. You're to put your don't tell anybody. Next time I go bowling, I'm not wearing your shoes. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. 
from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 